Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. I'm Zach. Hey, Adam. Hey. Have you ever looked at our album art for our podcast, Like just like the cover that you did five plus years ago? Yeah, yeah. The one where the X-Men are fighting the X-Men? Yeah. You ever think about how they're like, oh, these are the original X-Men, so they must be the best and we must fight them. Yeah. Um, that seems like a kind of a trope actually x-men you ever think about X-Men. how that happens twice in the first six issues of claremont's run <laughs> and then never I, again i did when i read this fill-in issue that we're gonna start with today it is it's, amazing yeah because you know what folks today we've got a great request and it was times the x-men have also fought the original five x-men or some sort of simulacrum thereof and I thought, oh, yeah, perfect. That's our album cover. We have this issue that we're starting with. Oh, this is going to be great. And here's the thing. The X-Men didn't fight the 05 when they came back from the future all that much. No. So that eliminates like 90% of what we could do. <laughs> and then the rest of it, it just doesn't happen all that much. It's a weirdly specific one. It is. And yet we found three. Yes. So who made this fantastic request? Oh, that was fantastic patron Robert. Uh, Robert, as always, went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf. Dug deep down into our hearts and pocketbooks, tossed a couple coins into our coffers. And you know what? That means that we get to do weird things from the Claremont run early that we have yet to cover and then turn those into specific episodes <laughs> that are funny to us. And you know what? We've been doing this for nearly 300 episodes. If you're not on the bits train by now, you better just hop off at the next station because it's rolling, rolling, rolling (laughs) all the way to the X-Men bits parade. I don't know. (laughs) This bit got away from you. You lost lost your metaphor there. Uh, As frequently happens with my bits. No, the no bit judgment. kind of went the wrong way. Yeah. So um, our first story of X-Men versus X-Men is a story I thought wrongly that we had actually covered before because it is a fill-in issue during the Phoenix saga. And oh, but you did not realize that we explicitly didn't cover this. My memory did come back to me when I was reading this and what, why we did not cover it. So this is Uncanny X-Men 106, Dark Shroud of the Past. Uh, it's written by Chris Claremont and Bill Mantlow and pencils by Bob Brown. Uh, this was an inventory issue. Yes, clearly. This is meant to give Dave Cockrum a chance to catch up. Well, actually, that's not the case. You would think that. But he's inked so there's, there's Well, there's two things you need to keep in mind. One is that Dave Cockrum and X-Men at the time was on a bi-monthly schedule. Right. So it was only coming out six issues a year. So mm-hmm. Cockrum had some time. Two, what this really was is a fill-in issue that they had. It was an inventory already already set up. And if you look at it, it was set up for right when Claremont starts his X-Men stuff. And what it is, is uh, Bob Brown, who was the artist on it, he passed away. Uh, and they said, we should probably get 
this last issue. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, well, it it is bookended by some Cochrane pages, and then um, mm-hmm. Brown is doing the the bulk of the story. So we are getting a small window into what was happening at the time. Um, the previous issue ended with Fire Lord, former Herald of Galactus, just bursting into uh, Jean Grey's apartment looking for the Phoenix. And I want to start, talk about this for a second because this came up in our Slack today. Oh, it did, yeah. Which does represent the only time in the existence of the Slack that we've talked about Fire Lord. <laughs> this this Slack is, of course, our working group for the website ComicsXF that has great comics coverage. Anyway, we talked about Fire Lord, and our entire reaction to Fire Lord was, "Man, he sucks. Why is he here? He's the worst of all the heralds." The problem with the Heralds of Galactus is the best one by far is immediately the first one it's they've never even come close to someone as good as the silver surfer no well they did they did use uh, dazzler that one time that was dazzler cool. dazzler was pretty good uh <laughs> that time aunt may became the hero of the galactus was pretty good <laughs> yeah but terax fire who lord who cares about terax who cares about fire lord yeah it's just What's who's that other one? The lady that turns into the Herald of Galactus. She has like a fiery head too, doesn't she? She does. I'm pulling up her name because it's going, it's going to bother me. And it's going to even more than that bother everyone who's listening. Who's talking about, I don't know what her name is. Terry Fox. That's not it. Heralds of Galactus. Okay, hold on. I'll know it exactly when I see it. Who are the members of the Heralds of Galactus? Former members, uh, not Airwalker, not Alpha Ray, not Anti-Man, not Cybermancer, not Destroyer, not Fallen One. Fire Lord. Uh, nope, 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 nope. Oh, yeah. Kazar was a Herald of Galactus in one page of Jason Aaron's Avengers, and it was never referenced again. We're thinking, of course, about Frankie Ray Nova, unrelated to the other Novas. That's it. Okay. Okay. She has a very uh, binary design. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty much looks like binary. Different, different uh, color schemes right it's yeah. not not white and red long story short they all suck yeah um now what's interesting about this is that fire lord has just broken into this apartment and Professor do you know Rex what is... fire lord's first name is mm, fred pyrus oh come on get out of here you <laughs> get out of here no jerry conway no <laughs> pyrus get out of here it's pretty funny so Charles is laying on the floor. He's got a he's got a bad migraine, and uh, Fire Lord's like, "Yo, was was that human upset?" And uh, Xavier just you know conveniently has a, a issue long flashback of a time that um, Onslaught came out and um, you know made psychic projections of the original O five fight the all new team for a couple minutes in the danger room. Okay, so let's clarify this <laughs> adam you 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 stretched it out let's pull it back here it's not <laughs> onslaught in so much as the eight or 90s big man uh this is the entity as they call him which is the manifestation of charles xavier's evil and right. bill mantlow really likes this idea because it's the same idea he uses in x-men versus micronauts yeah it sucks here too doesn't do a the entity does not do a sexual assault on a teenager, which is better than that Micronauts thing. But the entity still dumb. No, it's it's basically uh, a green Professor Xavier with a cape. And um, why does he have a cape? 
I guess tapes, like I don't know, it makes them look like more Dracula-y, I guess. Um, it does have a Draculonian vibe to it. <laughs> so this is clearly like, you know, early days with this team because the, even the the way in which our all new team is acting is, I mean, it's in character, but it's still a little klutzy. It's, it's very klutzy and it's distinctly not Chris Claremont writing it. Yeah. That's what throws me off. Like mm-hmm. you can, even if the art didn't change and the art, it goes from Dave Cockrum to Bob Brown, who just isn't as dynamic as an artist. You know, Bob no. was, Bob was a artist rooted in the forties and fifties where Cockrum has a lot more of that, like Neil Adams E vibe from the sixties. Like it, it feels like it, there is a continuity there. Brown just doesn't have that. Wolverine talks in the third person the entire comic, and that's distracting. Yeah, super weird. Wolverine is super weird. And you're right super about super weird. You're right about the art style because it almost it almost feels like a Silver Age book, the way mm-hmm. that you know you're flipping from from the styles. So um, you know, this psychic version of the O5 uh somehow, I guess mostly overpowers. They show team. up and start yelling at the all new X-Men saying, you suck. <laughs> give, give us back the old characters. We liked them more. Yeah, it's weird. It's I Angel don't... who's leading off the antagonizing, which is the funniest possible member of the O5 to start being like, all of you are terrible. Who cares about Wolverine and Storm? Yeah. So Cyclops basically like zaps the entity and um, that's it. You know, uh, Xavier, I guess, learns a, a some kind of lesson from seeing this vision in his head. And then we return back to our regularly scheduled program. So there's not a lot happening here. It's just this is this is so indicative of the fact that the X-Men really don't find their footing for a while. Like, I like the Cockrum stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that X-Men as a book doesn't really come together until burn. Yeah. I Like come together to the level that X-Men we know, like if we never got anything past the Cockrum stuff, mm-hmm. I think we'd be like, yeah, that was an interesting thing that could have been where burn and Claremont connect in a way that works a lot better until they don't connect. And then it just becomes very funny to see how many classic stories they can come up with while they hate each other. <laughs> Again, a very Stanley Steve Ditko situation. Yeah. There. But then, of course, Cockrum does come back and makes more classic stories. So Cockrum um, comes back and he's like, oh, wait, this is what the X-Men should be. Oh, we can do this. Chris, you figured <laughs> it out. Good job. Yeah. You're not a child anymore. <laughs> this definitely feels more like, um, I don't know, a Marvel team up issue or mm-hmm. you know that grade of, of a story where, it, you know, it hasn't hasn't hit any strides. So it's definitely not even as good as the issues that are around it. And, um, Oh no. Cause everything around it rules. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, you're talking about this, uh, arc is, you know, not being up to par. It's still pretty classic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, we had, I feel like we had this discussion when we covered and we did when we covered the Phoenix saga originally, when I was like, yeah, but it's not, it's not as good as it gets. And then your response is, yeah, but it's pretty good. Yeah. And that's why it's currently at 35 on our big old list. Now, uh, tell people about this big old list, because this is not going to rank as high as that. 
So the thing about our big old list, and thank you for bringing up our big old list, Adam, because I think about our big old list all the time. It's where <laughs> we're, we're ranking every X-Men story from best to worst mm-hmm. uh, with the number one X-Men story of all time being House of X, Powers of Ten, the hundredth best X-Men story being X-Factor 1 through 6, The Longest Night, uh, number 200 being that Dracula issue of Uncanny 159, number 300 being... The Black Blade from Wolverine Volume 2. Number 400 being that flashback issue right after Dark Phoenix Saga. Number 500 being uh, Uncanny X-Men 365, an issue I cannot tell you what it was about. Is that the Ghost Christmas? I got to know for me. It is. It's the Ghost Christmas. Yeah, it's it's Colossus. It's the Ghost of X-Men's past. X-Men past. Number 600 is the Decimation Story from Milligan's X-Men. Number 700 is, it's beautiful. Number 700, it's a Chuck Austin right there. It's Sacred Vows. And 741, Chucky's here again. It's the Draco. <laughs> double whammy. Double, um, it's a double Chucky. Yeah. So, gosh. Down... Double and Chucky were going to rhyme, and then that's not how words work. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think this is worse than at 500 Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, 365. Yeah, we got to scroll down to the 500s here. Bill Mantlo, I really hope that his health situation improves. Bill Mantlo is also not my favorite objective comics creator. I'll say that. Um, You know, just depends on what he's working on, honestly. Uh, but this, no, this ain't working. And this ain't I, working. Micronauts ain't working. And I'm not reading the rest of his stuff, to be honest. I'm down all the way at 600 now because at 599, we have Wolverine and Bad Rock. And oh, we'll read Bad Rock better than this. I'd much rather read that. So that means we're definitely at least in the 600s. Um, and I'd I'm rather read Heroes for Hope again. Absolutely. At 611. You know, I'd rather read the first six issues of Emma Frost. Oof, that's rough. That's at 632. What's 650? Uh, ooh, is this better or worse than the Silver Age X-Men meet Frankenstein? Ah, I'm going to go with Frankenstein. I know you did not like that issue. So what do you I think, think that issue is bad? Um, <laughs> is this better this, than that, though? We're in the right spot because right above we that are. is Amazing Spider-Man 420, an issue that is funny to me because it's Amazing Spider-Man 420 and Nate Gray <laughs> is in it and it's a Christmas issue. Um, but this is not better than that. This is probably better than X-Men The Hidden Years uh, where they meet Storm. Yeah, yeah. Um, six and seven. This isn't doing anything like that, that are making my eyebrows go up. So we're going to make this our new 651. This can be our new 60, 651. Um, hey, guys, if you want to see the all new team fight the 05, just go back like five issues and you get a better one. Much better. Absolutely. So, Zach, as you mentioned, this you know, team versus team thing doesn't happen all that often. So um, <laughs> tell people where we went for our second one, buddy. <laughs> We're going to 2099 again, guys. Yes. It's 2099 time. It's our new favorite book. <laughs> you think, you think we would not find joy in a book that's objectively. Okay. It has its problems, <laughs> man. I love the X-Men of 2099. It's good. Uh, this is, uh, the Zhao arc uh, from X Men 2099. We have delineated it as eight through eleven. Uh, you could draw your own conclusions from that. I think this is the best way that we can split up a book that doesn't really have story arcs in so much as a vibe. Yeah, it it just never 
really ends. It's just an ongoing thing, which yeah, honestly is very Claremontian. So props to Moore for doing that. Uh, it is, of course, John Francis Moore, Ron Lim. They are they are 2099 men. Yes. Now the Adam, yeah, go ahead. You want to talk about who the X Men of 2099 find? <laughs> okay, so hinted at in the first arc of X Men 29 were um, subsequent leaders of different vo- forms of the X Men. So um, you know we had our Xavier Magneto. When they died out, we had another leader. And then the other leader that they speak of, sort of the third generation of X-Men, were led by this character named Zhao. And um, Zhao is dead, right? So, you know, it's up to um, Sean to... Sean, Sean, Right, to to start this new generation of of X-Men. And, um, well, (laughs) the X-Men that they fight here are... How should we say this? They are not the X-Men of Zhao, but they are genetic creations based on the original five. So, so here's here's the thing. Uh, Master Zhao, uh, who is the holder of what's got to be one of the greatest uh, mutant powers of all time. Uh, he is the master of mind fire. <laughs> He is the master of mind fire. So sure. Good. Sounds a little bit like Adam X, you know? Hey, do you know what mind fire is, Adam? <laughs> no, I don't either. Guess what? I don't think John Francis Moore does. either. <laughs> I don't think John Francis Moore does either, but Hey, here's the thing. We have two Zorns. Now, if one of the Zorns wants to get a face and rename themselves master Zhao and say, Oh, well I do have mind fire because yes. my, my brain is a skull or brain is a sun. We could, we could just st- I'm just saying, Steve Orlando, give me a call. We can see more 2099 nonsense into X-Men nowadays. We can do it. We have the technology. Master Zhao uh, has gone crazy. Mm-hmm. The mind fire has burnt his brain. He is creating his new X-Men, and he's going to use them for evil. There's That's all there is to it. He's going to use them for evil. He's become a bad guy now. Uh, these are Frostbite, <laughs> Monster, uh-huh. One-Eyed Jack, Psycho K and Wingspan. They are wild distortions of the original five X-Men. And I love it because it's definitely the idea of, yeah, we passed this down from generation to generation. And then this guy who's a little crazy also did a bad job cloning. It's super. It's basically the superhero version of playing a game of telephone. Right. So yes, instead of beast, you literally have a three armed monster man with dreadlocks with and Wolverine claws. claws because they confused it. <laughs> yeah. One eyed Jack is hilarious. Um, he basically has a 90s Cyclops jacket and like a giant Z on his chest. <laughs> and That's the beauty. Laser, laser this is, the, of his one this is one of my favorite thing about Zal's uh, X-Men here uh, is that he calls him the chosen is that instead of being the X-Men, they have Z's on it. Cause it's masters Al. Yeah. Uh, so they're the Z-Men. Z-Men. Yeah. It's yeah. perfect. <laughs> perfect. So much better than the time Mark Guggenheim made the Y men. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Uh, so several members of uh, the X-Men 2099 team um, do have to fight this group. And, because we uh, do have to remember the X-Men 2099 team as a concept of a team. Um, doesn't exist so terrible at just like sticking together in groups of larger than two 
Yes. Now, the issue with fighting this team is that while this is going on, our X-Men 2099 uh, supposedly leader, Sean. um, Terrible leader. Does not do a good job. Yes. While he and some of his teammates have been captured by Zhao, um, this is the arc where we learn that Sean has this uh, second personality and that in his past, he used to be a pretty evil dude. And that side of his personality is going to use this as an opportunity to not only take over his body and create this character who you thought was their leader into a villain, but is also going to wake up and essentially kill Zhao. Zhao gets into a coma and then uh, Halloween Jack uses him for, no, I'm sorry. The theater of pain uses him for escapades in a later story, which we covered last week. I think Um, Yes, last week, beautiful stuff. Love John Francis Moore being like, well, this will be a fun toy that I can put on ice and use later. Now, for those of you playing our home game, um, you may want to check this arc out. The one issue, no no pun intended, is that there, there's only two issues of this on Marvel Unlimited before the uh, run ends, which is unfortunate. What kind of what happens is Zhao and his Chosen get defeated by issue nine right. for the most part. Yep. They show up in issue eight. They find him in issue nine. By the way, the cover to issue eight being a mimic of the cover to issue one of X-Men 2099. <laughs> We're already parodying ourselves. Pretty funny. Love it. Love when you do a parody within the first year. The <laughs> only thing better is when they did X-Men disassembled and they did a parody of the first cover by the second cover. That, that may be one of the best cover gags when they revealed it that I've the seen multi- in a while. The multiple man version. When it was, we're doing the first cover with multiple man. It's so yeah. good. It's pretty great. Uh, and it leans on the real strength of Lino Francis Yu of I can only draw one cover. He does like to draw characters standing around in a column formation. Listen, so. he's great at doing art that you can use to promote a series. That's it's good. so good at doing exactly that one thing. But then after that, uh, as we said, Zhao go, or not Zhao, uh, Shan 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 uh, goes a little crazy. And Tim Fitzgerald, uh, Skullfire, is like, yeah, let's do this. You want to ride motorcycles? Let's go. And they just start riding motorcycles around. Well, he <laughs> he runs into a character we did talk about last week, which is uh, La Lunatica. Lulanit, Lul, how do you say? It? La you Lunateca. Lunateca? Um, it's, I forget where the, the emphasis is. Where, anyway. Um, yeah, I think it's La, Lunat- La Lunateca. But this is the, uh, the arc where Tim goes full skull fire and, and gets his uh, face tattoo, isn't it? It's La Lunateca. Yeah. The accents on Lunateca. The okay. Day. Yes. All right. We are also introduced to a character who is advertised in the letters page as um, one of the coolest characters of the year. And that is the driver, who basically looks like a poor man's maverick. He has he's just been, picking up people. He's, he's an Uber driver. Why is he so cool? I don't know, but I love him. <laughs> He has the Maverick mask, right? With no nose. And he has these really goofy boots with like giant rubies on them. I don't know why anyone thought in the editorial that this would catch on, but you know, Ron Lim drew it. and was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> this is our guy. Now, you know what I do appreciate about the design is that like when Jim Lee designed Maverick, you look at his trading card and the guy's got like a hundred things hanging off of him. Right. Ron Lim's like, I'm just going to give him fun, big boots. 
Ron Lim said, I am not drawing all of that. No. Excuse me, sir. No, I have, I have, I assume children. I don't know Ron Lim's prodigy. I don't know either, but you'd assume that he wants to get home for dinner, right? At least he just doesn't want to work all day. You don't need kids to want to be like, I want to do my job less, actually. <laughs> um. So, yeah. The, and um, that that's kind of it, right? I mean, because after this, we're going to get into uh, Halloween Jack stuff. Yeah. Uh, this arc is not as good as I want it to be, but it's not my least favorite that we've covered so far. Like, I like this better than the first arc. I don't I like do it as too. much as Halloween Jack. Yeah. So um, that's that puts us between 347 and 371. We are not saying that X-Men 2099 is great. We are saying or good. We are saying it's great. We are saying it is in the middle of our list for sure, because it's absolutely it. in the category of that was weird. <laughs> All right. Not as so, good as God's Country of 359. Uh, no, 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 no. So the first arc is at 371. No, that, um, yeah, the first arc is, I, I kind of like this better than the first arc, but I don't think I can put it above like 365 or 367 is ambient magnetic fields. Uh-huh. It's probably not as good as that. No, no. Um, But I could put it, a, I could put it ahead of Imperial at 368 just based on art. Listen again. No one has more sympathy for Igor Cordy than I do. That art is bad where Ron Lim is doing his Ron Limiest in 1994. That is right. So uh, this one's worth checking out because the punchline of <laughs> those sex, that, that genetic mutant uh, team who they then freeze. Uh, like, and, well, except for one of them dies and they're like, ah, oh, shoot. These yeah. people really didn't. They were being controlled by the master of mind fire. But their bodies will degradate if we don't do anything. Yep, so they do yep. freeze them. And one uh-huh. of them's one of the ice person's like, "You can't freeze me. What are you going to do?" And they're like, oh, "That's a great. Uh, yeah, question. that's a great question. Go melt in the parking lot. Sorry, this <laughs> sucks for you. Ugh, this is a rough one. We don't have we don't have the answers. Uh, no. She dies. Yeah, really, the only one the only one who sticks around is Wingspan and Psycho K. I am not sure that they have ever uh, reappeared. Did we describe what Psycho K looks like? Because it's really funny. Psycho K is like they only heard the story of Jean Grey when she was possessed by the Dark Phoenix in the Hellfire Club. Yeah, but she's also kind of Psylocke. Like she has a red bob and then she's basically just wearing a, a like head to toe body stocking. Fishnet bodysuit. Fishnet yeah. bodysuit with like some underwear. There's some a- strappies. It's a it's whole... A- she also carries around a lot of knives. Again, <laughs> right, it's like very she's... clear that Master Zhao did not have the best understanding of what the X-Men were. He, he had the Florida textbooks on uh, <laughs> the X-Men. <laughs> All right. So that was two times that the X-Men have fought alternate versions of the X-Men. Um, and we of have... the original five X-Men. We have to be so clear about Oh, that. that's true. That's true. If so we were just doing times the X-Men fought alternate versions of the X-Men, we could be here for days. That is true. We have to do 05. That's, that is the rule. Yeah. So um, to do this one last time for this episode, we are going to go back to the Silver Age. That's right. We are talking about the last issue of Stan Lee's, or is it the last issue that Stan does? Yeah, it is. It's Stan it Lee's last issue on X-Men. Will he come back and write the X-Men in the future? Like maybe once or twice. 
definitely for that time that there was a Stanley collector's edition uh, <laughs> of the DVD. Yes. Where Stanley DVD talks about that time that Magneto did a Holocaust <laughs> on New York city. Did I Stanley tell you explicitly talks about it? Did I tell you I finally got my, uh, my copy? Very jealous. Very yeah, jealous. Friend of the show and co-host of both bat chat and WMQ and a Matt Lazowitz, uh, hooked me up over this weekend and it's even weirder than we talked about in the show because the first three issues in there are like Stan's favorite of his issues of X-Men. And now dude only wrote 19 issues. So all three of them are just old Silver Age issues. Is it? Let me guess. I don't know. A I don't Sentinel have right issue. Here. Okay. It's got to be one of the Sentinel issues. I would actually probably guess number four, uh, the Brotherhood, that first Brotherhood issue. And then maybe number one. Maybe they I, I think it's one there. four and something else, but I, I'd have I would to say one of the you would have to have one of the Sentinel issues. Those are yeah. good, actually. Yeah. If listen, if Stan was really doing it, he'd put in that Unis the Untouchable issue where Unis can't eat a cake. Can't eat cake. <laughs> so that's that's that Silver Age goodness. This is that Silver Age Stanley's running out of gas and he has other books to write because it's 1966 and he's a minor celebrity. That said. Uh, we were just talking about the goofiness of Unis not being able to uh, eat cake. This character uh, that is that is featured here is similarly really goofy. <laughs> You're talking about the first new member of the X-Men. Really the sixth X-Men. Yes. People are like, oh, look at that original team. There's Psylocke and Havoc. And one, Psylocke and Havoc are barely members of the team in the Silver Age. You're talking about Polaris, I believe. Yeah, that one. Why did I say Psylocke? They're different characters. We were just talking about Psylocke in, in uh, relation to Psycho K. So you're. But I'm an X Men podcaster. I, <laughs> I should know Psylocke as a distinct character from Polaris. Zach, we're uh, going on six years and three hundred episodes. You're allowed to mix up a character here and there. I don't think that's true. Oh, Gambit <laughs> and Bishop. Yeah, but I do that every week. <laughs> um, no, um, we're talking about the mimic. That's Calvin right. Ripken. Cal. Good old living in a cave, Cal. Truly, truly the best of the X-Men. Cal is hilarious. Uh, so for those who are not familiar with the concept of the Mimic, who did just appear very, very recently in X-Men continuity, actually. Did appear in Immortal X-Men 10. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he has all the powers of the O5. When, when he's he near them. near them. They, Which, they change that in the future. Yes. But. but at least at this point, this is a dude who can stand next to anybody else and gain their special power. And it doesn't have to be a mutant power. So if you're good at math and you uh, have Cal next to you during a, an assessment, guess what? Cal's going to do really good on that test. If you're good at track, he's going to beat you in that race because he can race just as fast as you can. And uh, unfortunately for Cal, everybody hates him for this. <laughs> It's not the the gift that uh, his, his mad scientist father thought it might be. To be fair, Cal does suck. Oh, he's a jerk. He is a jerk. Hey, can I tell you something that I find very interesting? Yes, what's that? You know about, do you know about Ultimo, the, uh, the robot that has all the powers of the Avengers? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know when Ultimo first appeared? Oh, no. Really? Release date, January 1966. This issue, February 1966. Stanley running on empty. <laughs> so you're really telling me Mimic is like the product of some fumes, right? <laughs> Mimic is like, oh, shoot, we got to write two comics this month again. 
So Ultimo, yeah, comes out at the same time. Stanley's running on empty here, and he says, what if this time it's a dude? Yeah, a grumpy dude. A grumpy dude. Who's not happy that his ex-girlfriend is dating this very, very verbose, wide-shouldered man named Hank McCoy. Uh, not even his ex-girlfriend. She explicitly says they didn't date. Right. Yeah. He's just yeah. some weirdo. It's just a guy. Oh, this just is where we meet Vera, by the way, from the Silver Age. It's Vera. Uh, yeah. And you would say that there's a meet cute, but Hank just like straight up insults her. Um, it's That's a, because Silver Age Hank McCoy is incredibly misogynistic. Sure He's a Stan Lee character. <laughs> Stan Lee was a lot of things. A good writer of women is not one of them, which is a weird thing to be bad at considering they're half of the people. One, one might imagine, um, different, different time, I guess. Um, but Calvin, uh, just keeps bumping into the X-Men randomly in their secret identities and gaining their powers to the point where professor X just decides to invite him over. Okay. Okay. Oh, hold on. no, no. Calvin says, I figured out who the X-Men are. Obviously. I will follow them home. And then <laughs> Professor X is like, well, he is our guest. And they're like, he <laughs> broke in. Well, he's a he, home invader at best. Does he break in? No, he, he rings the doorbell, Zach. He shows up. He did not break he's in. He's an uninvited guest. Yes. Who I then do, immediately threatens them. Yes. I do believe that he does like like walk around the house like <laughs> and anyway we are uh then moved back to calvin's cave where his father uh had his mad scientist experiments and it turns out that one of these experiments may have been and this is controversial because it's still up in the air as to whether calvin is a mutant or not um he's a mutant now but he is a mutant now as of they, they simply they said we're gonna simplify all of this because because what Stanley does, Stanley had no way of knowing that the, you know, ten mutants that he created were going to be the start of what would be considered like a civilization of people. <laughs> right. So it's a little weird when there's just one guy who's only important to the X Men, and you would assume is a mutant, but then he's not. It's a tricky thing like that. It's like when people are like, "Oh yeah, is Shatterstar a mutant?" Yes, because it's easier for the story. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It's so, easier if he is. His father, knowing that Mimic's powers were causing him trouble, tried to basically invent a machine before he died that would cure Mimic. But he doesn't tell Mimic that it would cure him. No, he does not. This story really is like a 50s pre-Fantastic Four monster story. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's um, what Stanley was good at. Oh, sure. Jack Kirby technically is the credited artist on this, but we all know what Jack Herb was doing late in X-Men. He was doing real roughs and Jay Gavin was doing the bulk of the work. Yeah. I mean, and it shows he's, he's contributing some, some light pencils, if you will. And Kirby Kirby is doing layouts, but Kirby's mm -hmm. doing layouts the way that Jack Kirby always did layouts, which was six panels, <laughs> six panels. We're going to stack them two across. That's how we're going to do it. Cause it's the most efficient. Yeah. Um, there's some fun to be had with this story. I think the fact that Calvin is just such a grump makes him kind of a funny character, but Calvin has such a weird design. That's what's funny to me. Yes. He's got, he, he's got a Cyclops visor, but it's not Cyclops's visor. No, it's these he's two got, uh, facing triangles. He's got angels wings. And I tell you what, 
He's got beasts grippers, Adam. <laughs> I mean, he those sure dogs does. are barking. Those dogs are barking. Yes, they are. So technically, they, he has Jean Grey and Iceman's powers too, but those aren't as visually interesting. No, and they they kind of just leave him. You know, like they they are, leave him depowered in a cave. Yeah, he's just laying on the ground. Oh wait, no, that's not true. They do call him a cab. It, it, oh, they do. Yeah, they do. They I do. zoned out by the end of this story. I'm going to be very honest. <laughs> in, I was like, in, okay. Hey, in man. fairness, it's very, it's a very tiny detail because um, it goes from the panel of him laying in the grass to like them looking at him getting in the cab in the background. So, um, and then they take the X copter back to their X mansion. Love the X copter. We yeah. should use that more. Just this weird helicopter with an X on it. Yeah, why not? Right. Need multiple forms of transportation. Um, so I'm not going to say I love this because I feel like love's the wrong word. But one thing I always find interesting, especially in the Stan Lee stories, is what's Jean Grey doing during all this? Because <laughs> yeah. you know it's not contributing. Well, she does get kidnapped yet again uh, by by Calvin here. You know, she also while everyone else is in the danger room as this does open in the danger room, doing all these feats of strength. Jean Grey's entire job is to sit there and read a comic book, but turning the pages with her mind instead of her hands. Right. Yeah, she's uh, Luke Skywalkering it up, just floating in the air and flipping That's the pages. That's giving so much more credit than... Oh, no, it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> Iceman is throwing javelins of ice at a target on the on the on the side of the room. And she's, it's an insulting level of just. Yeah, she's like, a girl. Therefore, she's useless. It's not as bad as threading the needle through the holes. But, you know, it's it's up there. Um, so at yeah. least this time they're using it to market Tales to Astonish or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's another Marvel book. So there is some fun to be had here. I don't think this is as fun as like Unis or. Oh, it's not even close to the Unis. Yeah. Or, or Oh, know. by the way, I forgot. Uh, Jay yeah. Gavin's not a real person. That's Jay. Werner Roth. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, that was that was I forgot that that was Werner Roth's pseudonym because here's a fun fact at the time. Well, people might know this. People might not at the time uh, because comics is a fake industry. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. people got really mad if you were moonlighting and all this stuff. So I believe Werner Roth and several other Marvel artists at the time were under contract with like DC or someone else. Oh, I didn't know that. And just, just moonlit under different names. That's funny. I didn't know that. That's interesting. So yeah, let's try and rank this. This is not, like we said, it does not come to the heights of some of the other silver age stories, but it's, it's still goofy fun. It's not like, it's not actively bad. It's just not, eh, I'm not, it's not good. It's not like the worst. It's just like goofy and not really what X-Men is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to see where we have some other early stuff. How do you feel about it compared to 106? I think 106. Well, hmm, that's a good point. Where did we put that? That's in the 652. 652. I don't know. I think this is more fun. I think it's probably better than 106. I don't know how much more fun it is. Like, is this better than Wisdom Max? Probably not. No. And That's you know, at I don't. 628. Yeah. You don't even like Pete Wisdom. I don't, but I mean, th- there's just a, th- that's a technically better book than this. You know what I mean? It is. Um, there's probably more going on here than there is in the Axis Revolutions number three at 632 where Kitty robs a bank. 
I think that the art, like Werner Roth is not my favorite artist. I think this is better than that Secret Empire arc of X-Men Blue. Yeah, but um, I, despite its flaws, I think this is uh, not as good as the Gladiator's Karma arc of New Mutants at 6.30. Right, I would I would tend to agree. That makes this our new 6.31. Mimic! Nice! So Has there I'm, ever been a good Mimic story? Has that happened yet? I mean, it's always funny that Mimic is used more as like a gotcha plot like device right like during extermination they just used mimic to like trick us never mind that is the best mimic thing that was the <laughs> funniest thing <laughs> they were like oh we killed that guy oh wait no that was mimic um, oh we we oh no we killed mimic oh well whoops fine we, we we swapped these characters out off screen in between issues um it's just mimic yeah and just Man, just recently it was funny that you know they were like mimic can you take over for hope? He was like, I don't think I can do that. And then <laughs> he tries and then he can't sink. do it immediately. I don't even think he tried. Did he? He tried. His oh, he did try. It. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. so Someone's yeah. going to be like, well, actually the mimic bromance with the Omega man mm. or Omega in X-Men legacy by Christos Gage. And I'm going to say no. Hey, there, there may be uh, some better mimic stories. I just haven't read them. So we should um, talk about Omega man sometime uh, Omega sometime. He's very not good. Yeah. I think you're confusing. Uh, isn't Omega man, the X-Force uh, thing that just got introduced? Well, yes, but also there's gotta be the Omega man is a DC. Yeah. 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 Uh, DC thing. I'm thinking of Michael pointer Omega, AKA the collective, but not, not all of the collective. <laughs> But someday we're going to have to talk about that collective arc from Bendis's new Avengers. Like before we finish the pod, that's one we're doing. Hey, I'm down. I have no idea what you're talking about. So that would be fun for me. Oh, Adam, if you don't, I'm don't just going to give you this. No, I'm going to give you this because this is <laughs> the opening of the arc. So it's not even a spoiler. Okay. Um, You remember at the end of House of M? Yeah, I sure do. You remember when all of the mutant energy left Earth? Uh-huh. Because of Wanda's thing. Well, where did that energy go? Oh, no. You know how that has been answered four other times different ways? Really? Yeah, this is like it woke up Vulcan and it uh, 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 brought Onslaught to Counter-Earth. You know, the heroes were not Counter-Earth. The heroes were born Earth. And it did a few other things. The Collective is one of them. Great. Great, great. Good, good for that. I'm so excited. We're, we're going to shoehorn that into the future soon. <laughs> but... Today is not the days of the future. It is the days of the future is past, or AKA right now. And right now we got to thank Robert for giving us a delightful episode. If you want to be like Robert, go listen to the start of this episode where I already explained it. It's so easy, guys. It's just give me money. Just give me an ad of money. Just give us some money and we'll do stuff for you. We're simple. It's called commerce. Look it up. I don't know what he got going on. Folks, follow me over at Instagram at adam.rec. And that's about it. Zach, how about you? What are we doing next week? You know, folks, you can not follow me on Instagram. Please don't do it. It's just, I don't want you to. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's, I, I don't know a kinder way to say this. I don't like the internet, and I'm sure you are all individually great, but I don't like the internet anymore. I've decided it was a mistake. And it's a bad place. And I I would choose not to be perceived. (laughs) We say this, but yet we 
reach all of our fans through it. So um, there must uh, be. I reach all of I reach all of our fans through this podcast, and really, I don't even look at the analytics anymore. I just assume everyone loves us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like nobody can listen to us without the wonderful Al Gore invention of the internet. Listen, Al Gore, dolphin listener. <laughs> he's very he he did a lot for the internet, but I'm still mad at him for his wife, uh, which I understand is not his fault, but I don't think Tipper Gore would have been. Uh, heavily into politics if it wasn't for Al being her husband and what she did to the record industry specifically in the late eighties is truly an abomination. And while I'm fine with the concept of parental guidance stickers on things and saying, Hey, maybe this one says a lot of cusses don't buy it for your kid. I think that's acceptable. I think the way that Tipper Gore went around that uh, was truly abominable and part in large in larger part of the satanic panic that was going on in the 80s where they did things like have Judas Priest go on actual real trial and talk about how no they weren't putting hidden messages into their cover of a Fleetwood Mac song to <laughs> tell their people their fans to kill themselves because hey they just wanted to play green man Alicia with the two prong crown and they wanted people to buy them and you can't buy Judas Priest Freaking albums when you're dead, Tipper. I love that you just went on a rant about a 30-year-old controversy. <laughs> but if you think that's 30 years old, you've got another thing coming. That's another juice piece. Anyway, next week we're talking about uh, Shinobi Shaw, unrelated to Tipper Gore, though I doubt she'd approve of him. She would not approve. <laughs> Shinobi Shaw, not Tipper Gore approved. See, this is the content that people care about. <laughs> References to Tipper Gore, a person that is actually too old for me to have real feelings about and just old enough for you to maybe have feelings about. And yet our audience skews younger than me. Oh, boy. Until next time, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!